Dad, Dad, look at the birdie. Ever since Jamie was old enough to understand that I'm an ornithologist or bird guy, she's been asking for me to tell her about all the birds she spots. She can sit with her tablet for hours, listening to bird calls, quizzing me to see if I can tell what type of bird it is. She's been asking me to get her a pair of cockatiels for about a year now. She's a bit obsessive. What is it, Daddy? What's the birdie? I was trying to read an article, but I knew better than to ask Jamie to wait. I leaned back in my chair, stretched, and looked out the window. And I had no idea what I was looking at. Look, I live in a rural area. This is Juniper, West Virginia, so when I look outside and see a bright red tropical-looking bird, I know for a fact that something isn't adding up. What's the birdie, Dad? What is it? I don't know, honey, I admitted. Let's go have a look. I brought my binoculars, trail mix, and hiking boots. Jamie followed suit. And yes, of course, she has her own binoculars. We stepped into the backyard to get a better look at the strange bird. It was about eight inches tall, excluding the tail feathers. It had a slick black crest with blue wing bars fading into a pearl white. It had the crooked beak shape of a vulture, but it had a feathered head and zygodactyl feet. I've never seen anything like it. The moment I put down my binoculars, I took off into the woods. Jamie was still struggling to get the covers off her binoculars, and she was wildly unhappy not to get a better look at the birdie. Where'd it go, Dad? Where is it? It probably went home to its family, I said. I think that's someone's pet. I hope they find it, Jamie pouted. I'm sure they will. I double-checked local shelters and pet groups online to see if there were any escaped tropical birds, but I couldn't find anything. There aren't that many bird owners nearby. There are some up in Bridgeport, but it'd be a stretch for a parrot to get from there all the way down here. Still, I put up the equivalent of some digital missing flyers and forgot all about it. I still hadn't read my work article. When I called Jamie for dinner, she came into the kitchen all excited and bouncy. She held onto her binoculars for dear life. Dad, the birdie is still there, she said. Can I go look at it? After dinner, honey. What if it flies away? Then it probably went home. That's what you said last time. She pouted her way through every bite of lasagna, and as soon as her fork hit the empty plate, she was out in the backyard to look at the birdie. I wasn't worried. Jamie knew the rules. As I finished up the article and sent a few work texts, I leaned back in my chair and stretched, only to see Jamie running into the woods at full speed. I swallowed my heart and ran. I didn't even bother to put shoes on. I just burst into a sprint, calling out to her. The forest isn't a dangerous place in and of itself, but there could be snakes. Also, Jamie was too young to properly find her way back before dark. She hadn't gotten far, but I couldn't take the risk. It took me about five minutes to find her. She was standing in the middle of the woods with her binoculars, happily pointing down a path where the pretty red bird sat, looking at us. It lives here, Dad, Jamie grinned. I just hugged her and held her tight. I wasn't even mad, just relieved. I took her back home and had a stern talk. She'd just been excited to see the bird. There was nothing more to it. Still, she had to learn that she couldn't go running into the woods like that. I told her how unsafe it could be and that if she wanted to go further than the backyard, she had to ask me first. I'm not unreasonable. That night, as I collapsed in front of my computer, I had only one thing in mind, 
the bright red bird. It was clearly used to being around people, reinforcing the idea that it was a pet of some kind. Still, no one had called in a missing pet bird. As a final effort, I sent a message to my work buddy, Simone. I asked her if she had heard anything. I was about to log off when I got a message back, almost immediately. You seen it too? We met up at work the next day. Simone is a classic meat and potatoes kind of woman. She'd had her dad's green ranger cap for so long, I'd forgotten what color her short hair even was. I'd never seen that woman worried, but this time there was something brewing under the surface of her frown. My kids saw it, she said. I just caught a glimpse of it, heading west, uphill. I saw from, uh, from the northwest, I said, uh, heading east. Well, I suppose that narrows it down. It's probably nesting up in the hardwoods. Birchwood is too sparse for something that sticks out that bad. You think it's nesting? Sure, nodded Simone. It's a hefty bird. Well, if you hear anything else, let me know. You can check it yourself, smiled Simone. We're going up there this weekend. What? Grosbeak migration. They just posted the schedules. I thought Sammy was going. Wasn't it her and Babin? They're doing warblers, chuckled Simone. Get your bird straight. That entire week, Jamie bugged me about bringing her along. I thought about it, but it was her mother's weekend and I didn't want to be a bother. Besides, Jamie would get bored within the first 30 minutes and spend the rest of the day dragging her feet. This was a work outing. There was no way to tell if we were going to see that red thing again. Still, it always kills me to say no to Jamie. She knows exactly what to say. But still, I did. Thank God. Starting on Saturday morning, Simone and I met up at the Eastern Hike Trail. The forest that runs through the northern corner of Juniper has this amazing ability to always be uphill no matter the angle you start at. Even going down feels like uphill. It's just strange. We'd wandered those trails a hundred times, and this time was no different. Simone took point. We chatted about what our kids were doing at school. That might sound like a simple topic, but it can devolve into a thousand micro-discussions. Teachers, homework, classmates, sports, favorite subjects, all of it. Having that in common with another person just puts you on an equal ground that is hard to match. And after a few hours of going uphill, we stopped for a rest. We checked our equipment. The forecast had promised clear skies, but we were starting to see some dark clouds on the horizon. With a bit of luck, we'd be on site by late afternoon. Grosbeaks are migratory birds, so we keep tabs on the population regularly. It's like checking bridges to make sure there are no cracks. 99 times out of 100, you're fine. But if something goes wrong, you want to know. I was waiting for Simone to double-check her map, and she gently elbowed me. Are you seeing this? It was that bird again. It was sitting on a low branch just 50 feet down the trail. It made this strange, warbling call, like a big quail. It looked straight at us, its black crest standing at attention. It didn't seem skittish at all. It was definitely used to being near people. Honestly, you have no clue what this is? I asked. Not a damn clue. We finished our snack and got back up. As soon as we did, the bird took off to the northwest. Simone and I were originally taking the trail to the northeast, but we figured a small detour wouldn't hurt too bad. We were curious. We spotted the bird three more times, going further and further into the forest. 
we found ourselves going off trail. The bird just kept looking at us, moving whenever we got too close. I couldn't put my finger on why, but it felt like this behavior was intentional. To stay close, but not close enough to catch it. But why didn't it just fly off? Why did it stay close? Around lunchtime, we started looking for somewhere to stop and do some actual work. We found a small clearing with a large boulder we could sit next to. I checked our equipment while Simone put out some sandwiches. We were a bit off track, but we could loop back around and still check some of the nests. I almost choked on a ham sandwich when the red bird suddenly plopped down right in front of us, wings outstretched and crest flared. I was so surprised I fell off my log, dropping my bag. Simone just bolted up and stepped back, clutching her chest. The bird stepped on one of our sandwiches, keeping its wings out. It was being hostile, showing us that this wasn't our territory. It didn't even eat the sandwich. It just pushed it aside. Simone and I got up, took our equipment, and backed away. The bird kept doing this horrible noise like a rattlesnake mixed with a rooster. It had this strange resonance that made my stomach hurt, like a sound that tasted bad, and it was awful. Almost made me sick. Simone grabbed my arm and pulled me away. We took our equipment, abandoned our lunch, and figured it wasn't worth the trouble. We headed east, downhill. Suddenly, out of the underbrush, there was a second bird. It was much larger, roughly the size of a goose, when it came straight at us. Simone recoiled and tripped. She rolled down the hill screaming, and I hurried after her as the birds climbed up a nearby tree, watching us from afar. Simone hurt her foot bad. It got stuck in a root and twisted almost 360 degrees. There was a lot of blood. I could see something sharp poking out, possibly a bone or cartilage. I hurried to bring out the first aid kit. Simone was panicking. Her eyes had gone wide and her hands were trembling. It's okay, she kept repeating. It's okay. I just bit my tongue and brought out the gauze. I elevated her leg, carefully, and started putting pressure on the wound. All the while, I could hear the birds warbling just up the path. It started to sound like a laugh. Simone sat up and held her leg while I brought out my phone. I dialed the emergency services, and with every ring, I saw the two birds creeping closer. But there were more of them coming out of the underbrush, at least six of them. They weren't really a threat, but there was a lot of them. They had beaks like scavengers, so they could probably smell blood. Maybe they thought Simone was out for the count. The moment my call connected, the bird started screeching. It was that same awful noise, and it resonated in me something terrible. I dropped my phone to cover my ears. It was only for a moment, but that moment was enough for one of the bigger birds to grab the phone and disappear into the woods. The others followed suit, warbling with laughter. Simone and I just sat there, looking at each other. I was trying my best to keep my lunch down, but that screech really rattled me. My hands were shaking as it dawned on me that we were stuck here. I would have to either go back on my own or carry Simone back down, but neither was an option. Luckily, Simone is a fighter. We made a makeshift crutch from a sturdy branch and wrapped it in a fabric. I had to help her up steep hills, but the rest of the way she could move on her own. The problem was that we were a bit off track. I wasn't very familiar with that part of the woods, and Simone had dropped her pack when she slipped. 
I had a map, but she'd been the one taking marks. As long as we headed east, we'd end up at the main road eventually, and I had a compass. We were being followed. I counted at least eight different birds, ranging all the way from six to thirty inches in length. They kept their distance, but as soon as we stopped, they crept closer. That warbling felt as ever-present as snapping twigs and wind rushing between the leaves. We'd been walking for a few hours when Simone stopped me. She could barely keep it together, she was so frustrated. Stop, she said. Just stop. Look. She held out the compass. We've been walking east, but north wasn't steady. It was moving even though we stood still. North was pointing directly away from the family of redbirds. I'd never seen anything like it, and I felt this sinking realization in my stomach. Without a reliable compass, we could be anywhere. We could have been walking in circles for hours. We could be two hours further into the woods. The sun had started to set. Following the path of the sun, we realized we'd been heading north rather than east. We could make some headway back east just by following the trail of the sun, but we'd be nowhere near the main road before nightfall. It was better to start making a shelter and prepare for the night. I found a clearing near a large tree and started setting up camp. I dug a makeshift wind shelter using moss and branches for cover. I had to redress Simone's wound and try to keep it clean from infection. I found a log and set it up so she could keep her leg elevated. She was in a lot of pain, but she wasn't in any immediate danger. While we ate, I checked the compass again. It was moving on its own, possibly a reaction to the strange birds. I started seeing a pattern, a circling, much like vultures waiting for a meal. And still, that sound. At this point, I was convinced. It wasn't a warble. It was a laugh. Then, the sun started to set, and the dark clouds had gathered overhead. A cold wind was blowing through the trees, and the moon was completely hidden. I could barely see my own hands. We had a pair of flashlights, our saving grace. We, we should, we should take turns sleeping said Simone. Just in case. Sure, I said. We should try to mask the blood. There could be bears. How, how do you propose we do that? I had a few ideas. Nothing pleasant, but it was a necessity. Sure, these birds were freaking me out. But there are many other dangers out in the wilds. An eternity passed. Everything looks the same in the dark. And all I could hear was the warbling and the wind. The birds were still circling us, and they weren't letting up. I almost stopped hearing them for a while. It just became this background noise. Simone and I took turns resting. After shifting back and forth a few times, we started getting sloppy. It was close to midnight by then, and it felt like we'd been there for weeks. Time passes so slowly when you are in discomfort, waiting for the cold and the dark to go away. At some point, we both fell asleep. I remember waking up, disoriented. Something brushed against the back of my head and retreated into the dark. I reached for my flashlight, but it wasn't there. I wasn't where I was supposed to be either. It had been moved about four feet from where I'd fallen asleep, and I had some kind of warm slobber on the back of my neck. The warbling had stopped. Realization dawned on me. Something had tried to drag me away from the shelter. I scrambled to my feet. Simone! I called out. What? What the hell was that? There was no response. 
I held my breath, listening. Nothing but the wind. I crawled my way back to the shelter, only to realize Simone was gone. I felt around for her flashlight. Mine was gone, but maybe hers wasn't. It took me a while, but I finally found her house keys. They had a little finger-sized flashlight attached. It wasn't much, but it was all I had. Simone? I called out, wiping the warm goop from my neck. Simone! Nothing. She was gone. There were a few spatters of blood from her wound, but that was it. Her Green Ranger cap remained. She'd never leave that. I started looking around the clearing. It took me a while to find a large patch of moss and grass where I could see the ground had been pressed down. No, not just pressed down. Something had been dragged through here. I just stood there, trying to make sense of it. Simone was gone and now I could hear something other than the wind. Eating. Tiny, ripping bites. Beaks too full to laugh. Something was moving. Something big. I turned around, peering into the dark with my flashlight. Something was coming my way, and there was a deep groan and a galloping run. Everything in me told me to flee, but I was just frozen. I stood there and waited for whatever would come. Maybe it was a part of me that knew there was no way for me to run from something that fast. I had to face it. The flashlight flickered, but held. I caught a glimpse of it. It ran on all fours. It had feathers, perfectly blending into the underbrush. Two large black orbs for eyes and a sharp beak that could easily fit my neck. It stopped ahead of my flashlight, staying just out of sight. It growled, making the ground tremble. My flashlight flickered again, and it came sprinting forward. As the flickering stopped, it retreated. It made an awful screeching noise, so loud that my eardrums moved. It made me lose my balance, but I caught myself against a tree. It was circling me. The small ones had started darting back and forth, nipping at my legs. I spun around, trying to use my light to keep them at bay. That's when I stepped on my lost phone. It was broken beyond use, but it was right there. They dragged it along. Or maybe we just hadn't gone that far to begin with. I had to do something. Try something. A nip at my foot opened a little wound, and the smell of blood made them all the more eager. The warbling started. The laughing. I put my flashlight in my mouth and picked up the cell phone. I broke it open and removed the battery. Using a metal wire from my keychain, I short-circuited the battery by pressing the wire into the positive and negative terminals. It warmed up the wire just enough for me to set fire to a tuft of bush. It was just a little ember, and the battery was already dead. But I cradled that ember between my hands, still biting down on the flashlight. Movement all around me, unseen, waiting for me to let my guard down for the light to die. And suddenly, a tug at my leg. In less than a second, I was three feet away from the budding fire. They were biting me. Something large was grunting with effort, and I kicked as hard as I could, hitting something resembling rock or a beak. They didn't even flinch. I pulled up my leg with all my might, opening an inch-deep gash in my ankle. I crawled back as my fire flared up to the size of a fist. It was barely holding on from the wind, but it was growing. I'd been lucky. Using branches and a ripped piece of fabric from my pants, I managed to make something resembling a torch. I could see something big staying out of reach, just out of sight. 
It wasn't done with me yet, and neither were the little ones. I gathered everything I could find and made a small campfire. I positioned myself with my back against a tree so nothing could sneak up from behind. All I had to do was keep the fire alive, and I'd make it out of there. Dawn would come. But I could see it. Out there in the dark, those dark globes staring at me, unblinking, unrelenting. I couldn't run. I couldn't let it psych me out. Thinking back to Jamie, I told myself there was only one thing to do if I wanted to see her again. I just had to look at the birdie. Just look at it, Dad. That's all there is to it. It circled me. It growled. It made aggressive outbursts, trying to rattle me. But that was all that came of it. I held fast, staying close to the fire, and stared it down. Look at the birdie. Look at the birdie. Look at the damn birdie until the dark goes away. And it did. Once morning came, they retreated into the forest, full of meat and marrow. They'd gotten their prize. I'm not going to go into detail about what they did to Simone. I can't bring myself to put it into words. There was nothing of Simone left, just a body. It was the most gruesome night of my life. But I made it home. The police are treating it like an animal attack. There was no talk of strange red birds or whatever stalked us. They classified it as a black bear. I'm not convinced. I'm looking for a new place to live. Jamie has been staying with her mother while I recover. I've tried finding out anything about these things, but no one seems to know anything. Babin practically laughed me out of the office when I suggested a bird like that could even exist in West Virginia. But I can't bring back Jamie here. Not yet. At night, I imagine hearing the warble outside my bedroom window. Sometimes I see flashes of red in the woods. I'm sure they're still out there, trying to lure people deeper into the forest. And to think, they looked so innocent. We just wanted to look at the birdie. Thank you for making it this far. I hope you enjoyed that story. And if you did and you'd like to support the channel, you can find me on Patreon at Stories After Midnight. Really appreciate it if you head on over there and check it out. And outside of that, I'll see you in the next episode.